Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today we are discussing the best teams. It's a cinematic journey through teams of four or more. We decided last podcast, which was Avengers Age of Ultron, that a team consisted of four people. That leaves out the three amigos and uh, any and, other three-person <laughs> yeah, three based teams. Just a heads up, we will be speaking about the films and the teams within the films in some detail, but uh, just a heads up, we'll say the names of the movie, just in case you haven't seen it, in the event that there's any kind of spoilers. So, uh, Lloyd, you know, what's a team to you, really? (laughs) This was a hard one, Dave, Uh, coming up with uh, my top five teams. uh, The parameters I gave my list were, like, I could only have one superhero movie, and I I, I elected not to have Wild Bunch or Ghostbusters because I always talk about those two movies. The team movies, uh, like like you said, had to be um, three or more people in, in the team, and the film had to take adequate time on each member to constitute a team movie for me because we all know movies such as Fast Five, which at the heart of the story is maybe Vin Diesel and Paul Walker, but the film takes time out enough to show these characters such as Han and his relationship with Giselle like they're you know there's activity in the background so to speak so I was like right away Michael Mann's Miami Vice like I really love that movie yes the 2006 film but thinking it over again the the film really didn't take any any time to show you Switek or Zito it was more about Sonny Crockett and Isabella and with a bit of Tubbs and Trudy and to me it was a great team in the movie but it wasn't a great team movie uh, you can argue movies like um beverly hills cop and big trouble in little china have teams in them but really at the center of those films are a buddy movie like uh, axel foley and rosewood and and taggart or, or jack burton and wang um i really wanted to put aliens on my list because it's one of my favorite movies of all time but i felt in aliens the real center of it all is about Ripley facing a demons. And as much as I love Hudson, Bishop, Vasquez and Hicks, it just f- didn't feel like they were the centerpiece um, of the film. Uh, some close ones, Dave. Inception, I thought it had a really amazing team, but it didn't make my list. Uh, Willow for fantasy movies was really cool, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Man in the Iron Mask, I, I actually cut from my list because I talked about it heaps on our favorite uh, Guilty Pleasure movies, which you guys should check out to previous podcasts episode we did uh zulu i freaking love zulu didn't make it team america red the expendables tropic thunder fast and the furious which i raved about uh how much i love that team over and over again on our fast and the furious 7 podcast didn't make my list uh swat um with samuel jackson colin farrell michelle rodriguez i really liked didn't make my list toy story didn't make my list believe it or not um i, do, but I don't I, believe it <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so i can't wait to get into these because i went over it a lot i i looked at a lot of movies and thought long and hard about this so yeah just disappointed i had to cut a lot of them out well maybe you've done more work here than me we'll see because most of mine are, are you know from like you know films that i've enjoyed uh kind of taking a personal take on teams i i as well i cut out a lot of ideas uh for me the princess bride was my fantasy film like willow that 
I decided to leave out. But I mean, the sort of they're not really a team until the end, which is uh, a problem with a lot of these movies. I would have As argued well, that was a great choice, though. <laughs> mm, a lot of buddy cop movies, obviously, because they don't have four people, they they fall outside the realm of the parameters that we've set for this. I tried not to do superhero movies too. We did cover Avengers Age of Ultron and we've actually done a podcast on the first Avengers film, the Joss Whedon one. And and look, we cover superhero movies quite a lot on this and never really are they a team until they're in uh, Avengers. I suppose we might reconsider it all when we see Justice League and you know whether they're a great team. But for now, we've got our own five picks, and uh, we'll get straight into it, Lloyd, with your first one. Okay, so number five, it was my superhero movie choice, and it was a really tough decision between The Avengers, Watchmen, Ninja Turtles, and Mystery Men. Uh, but in the end, I went with Ninja Turtles. I love how dark the movie is. It's one of the best comic book adaptations of all time, I think. The flashback sequence of Shredder and Master Splinter's former owner was done so simple. It looked like a stage play lit by one light, and yet its minimal look was so effective. I love the Shredder. He was built up so well, and especially the battle sequence at the end where the Shredder fights all four of the Turtles and Splinter. It's one of the best battle climaxes of all time. (laughs) The puppetry work in that, I think, rivals and even surpasses a lot of modern CGI. But the heart and soul of the movie is the team, and not just the Turtles, Raphael, Donatello, Michelangelo, uh, Leonardo... Also, there is April O'Neil, and of course, um, my favourite, Casey Jones, played by Podmifikan's favourite, Elias Cote. Shout out to you, mate, if you listen to this. <laughs> um, they all work together to defeat the Foot Clan. The brothers have their own, like, dynamic. You can argue it's mainly between Raphael and Leonardo, but I really felt that they gave a great, subtle moment to Michelangelo and Donatello. Like, uh, there's a moment where they're waiting for pizza, and Michelangelo tries to, to ask Donatello, Donatello what what did he think about what Splinter said about him not being there in the future and Donatello can't answer it he just ignores the question like it's a really layered scene there and what I love about it is how gritty the movie is you see foot soldiers die and I'm referring to when the foot soldier swings with the axe and it hits a power cable and he starts getting electrocuted Uh, the comedy was great and there are so many great lines in this movie and some really touching scenes particularly with Splinter and that kid Danny I think his name is that they're talking about fathers and all that and and of course with the ninja turtles as well how they um go around a fireplace and splinter like spiritually comes there it's all like an unanswered scene like well what actually happened is that actually splinter splinter is he talking to them telepathically or you can interpret that as like a you know they spiritually see um splinter and they project what they want to hear and see and stuff like that but it's a really beautiful movie i love it (laughs) can i ask if you've seen the uh, updated ninja turtles with megan fox yeah, no, I, I haven't Fox. seen. I, I don't have issues with it. Like, I think they're doing really well with the franchise to to squeeze as much money and give life to it to a new generation. But it just isn't the Ninja Turtles that I grew up with. But um, if people watch and have a great time, yeah, like go ahead. But it just doesn't look like something that I would really enjoy. I thought the same thing, and I decided to watch it. And it's not really something I think our generation will enjoy. <laughs> it's um, it's very CGI heavy. It's uh, obviously it's very um, cheesy. There's a lot of product placement. There's um, just very corny dialogue. Nothing's very well tied together. It's trying to be a lot of different things and trying to appeal to a lot of different age groups. Was, but, were um, the turtles still really fun in it? Uh, no, <laughs> I think. 
I think most of the material is in the trailer. If people just watch the trailer, you'll get the idea. Yeah. Thankfully for you, uh, I included Mystery Men. I love that movie. (laughs) Which is the first one I'll talk about. Look, it basically takes place in in a city where Greg Kinnear plays Captain Amazing and he's the superhero of the film. Until, you know, the Mystery Men sort of are these group of nobodies. They're no one in particular. They have no special powers. Uh, also, we think to start with Ben Stiller plays Mr. Furious, you know, which he just is a guy that becomes angry, which is like the worst kind of Hulk. <laughs> Hank Azaria, the blue Raja, he is using cutlery, everyday items to, you know, he has pristine accuracy, but he's nothing special as well. You've got the invisible boy, you know, which it becomes an actual power. You know, he just believes he can be invisible. And if nobody is watching him, he will be invisible. And it's so hard to prove because there are always people around watching him. <laughs> You know, but this group of just everyday people with their own unique skills sort of rise to the occasion. And that's what I sort of loved about it. As a team, they all worked together uh, to take on Jeffrey Rush's villain. And Uh, he was a great villain, wasn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, it was a great audition for, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, how he was set to play a villain in that. And he's just a great actor anyway, but uh, I, I couldn't sort of do a top five without any superhero movie and and we've just talked so much about avengers and so forth i think avengers is a great superhero team movie like best team sort of thing but they only really become a team by the end of the first one and then the second film they spend the whole time fighting with each other and like it's the breaking down of the team Mm. so it's very difficult to kind of say it's it's the best team i mean by the end of the first one they're working together as a team no doubt uh, they're, you know, fighting off an alien invasion. But the Mystery Men, I suppose, have each other's back throughout. And, like, I like that they've raised to the occasion and, and that it's got that kind of everyman quality to it. The comedy of it is fantastic as well. Do you have a favourite character and do you have a favourite line in the movie? Uh, <laughs> the... Is it the waffler? <laughs> I was going to say that. That's my favourite line. <laughs> yeah, it's a great line. Um, look... Ben Stiller, for me, sits as the favourite, and it's also to do with the fact that Claire Forlani is the love interest. Oh, yeah, I love her. I think every kid in our generation fell in love with her. (laughs) And she's going to be back, actually, in More Rats 2, which uh, Kevin Smith is putting together the cast. Uh, He's trying to get everybody back. But, of course, that will include Ben Stiller, if he... uh, Sorry, Ben Affleck, if he manages to get everybody, because Ben Affleck was in More Rats. Yeah, people forget that. Yeah, so uh, I'd be very interested to see if... I mean, Affleck came back to do Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, yep. which he had a little cameo with Matt Damon, you know, and they joke, you know, he says, this is the one you do when, you know, somebody says you owe them one, you know. <laughs> when so you're just starting he, out. Yeah, does he still owe him one? Will Will Affleck appear? Because I get the feeling that they don't hang out that much anymore. I listen to a little bit of Kevin Smith's podcast and and I get the sense that, you know... They're both married. They're both, you know, doing their own thing. Jennifer Garner's probably a part of it. Kevin Smith lives in Ben Affleck's old house, so who knows? Uh, I'll just get back to Mystery Man. Uh, my favorite character was probably one of the villains. Uh, was Disco? Uh, I can't remember his name, but he's one of the Disco guys. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I love it because Disco is life, you know, and he's dancing. Oh, he's just fantastic. It's just, what? Why are the Disco boys like? So? <laughs> oh, I love that movie. I can watch it over and over again. Good choice. Yeah, it's such a surprise sort of hit, really. Um, yeah. I didn't like it at all when it. I first saw it. I didn't like no? it at all. It just grew on me, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. 
Well, some films are like that. I mean, Zoolander, for example, came out in the wake of September 11, so nobody watched it. And then on DVD, on video, it found its market, you know, because of repeat appeal, I suppose, and and just this undiscovered gem that people hadn't watched at the movies. Well, I'll get you the second one. Yeah, um, for number four, this was a toss-up between The Wanderers and The Warriors. I picked The Warriors 1979 by Walter Hill. Gangland New York, a gang called The Warriors, get wrongfully accused of killing the leader of the biggest gang in the city, and they have to fight their way through the city to get home. This is a freaking cool movie. Avoid the latest version Walter Hill released with all the comic book po- comic book panels he inserted in. He, he ruined the movie as much as George Lucas ruined the original Star Wars with all that CG crap he put in. If you can watch the original, it, it, it's, it's really great. Um, it's really about these young men with all their grit and toughness standing up to the war tribes of the night. It's full of action and I think Walter Hill back in the day, no one does does action better than him the fight choreography is really practical especially in an age when kung fu movies were very prominent his choreography just pretty much had sluggers in it although there are karate guys in the movie they're karate gangs the combat scenes like when they actually fight just seems like sluggers just brawling it's really really well done and holds up really well today especially as um fight choreography moves more into mma style i I loved all the characters in this movie particularly ajax played by James Remmer, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, recently he played two um, parts in uh, in Glory, um, uh, Tarantino movie, the recent one, um, Django Unchained. Yeah, he played a two played two parts in that. Uh, almost unrecognizable. Uh, what's great is how much you miss or feel the absence of each character as one either dies or gets caught. They really leave an impact on you, and I think a lot of that is attributed to Walter Hill. But I think for the most part, it's it's the cast they got for this movie. They're fantastic. They are all really memorable. You see the rise of a hero with Swan, and each character falls into their place as the movie gets along like at the beginning of the movie they lose their main leader and they're basically like a headless chicken now the group of them just running through the city going oh my gosh what do we do but each one rises to the occasion everything is against these guys every gang is after them they have to use their cunning their strength and their courage to overcome the impossible they released a video game several years ago on the xbox and playstation which um fed into the cult status of this movie and i loved it i never completed it. i really got to play it again you can play two players it's basically just a beat-em-up game and you got to play with each character and it was just really awesome I can't tell you how great it was revisiting that world and they got like as much as they could of the original actors to play the voices and it's just great fighting alongside some of your favourite characters in this movie, it was just awesome (laughs) it's always good to relive relive your childhood in some way isn't it? yeah, even if it's through a video game it's it's amazing, I'm I'm shocked that hasn't become more prominent, you know they've made more video game um adaptations of older movies because movies with big cult followings i guess you can argue argue the lego movie keeps making indiana jones keeps making star wars and stuff like that but i don't know i'd just like to see more of it my next film is 300 uh which directed by Zack snyder in 2006 and stars gerard butler in he's the most iconic internet meme yelling this is sparta or this is prada or whatever you know people have changed it to (laughs) Uh, The team in 300, why I consider them one of the best teams, despite the fact that they lose, uh, is 
the fact that 300 men fight off the Persian army, the fact that, you know, the team itself is bred for combat, the fact that it's so well filmed, uh, everything about it just... It's such a nice film to watch in terms of... Um, I mean, this is, like, one of Zack Snyder's best, and by making 300, it's just been such a calling card for him, uh, leading him into the Superman franchise and everything. Just um, the way I suppose it's handled uh, is great for me. Yeah, this elite group of warriors. Uh, interesting that you had warriors, and I'm now talking about warriors, <laughs> but uh, I am sensing this whole list is going to skew for a male demographic we're not choosing Charlie's Angels, not just because they are only three of them, unless you include Bernie Mac, the late Bernie Mac, as, as or I suppose, um, who's the other one? Uh, Bill Murray was in the first one. But we're not choosing a lot of kind of girl power groups here. Uh, mostly, I think we're going to skew towards men's I can't even teams, think of we? any um, girl movies other than Charlie's Angels. Yeah, no, that's the first one that came to mind, but... Uh, while you tell me about the next one, I'll try and figure one out. <laughs> just for commentary reasons, and just I don't want to seem sexist. Um, it's not actually on my list, but I'll try and find one. For number three, I have to go with William Friedkin's Sorcerer, 1977. It's a remake of Wages of Fear. Basically, these four guys have to transport nitroglycerin ac- ac- across a dangerous South American jungle. And so they go over, uh, if they go over a heavy bump on the road, the whole truck blows up. It's an extremely impossible mission. And the film takes time to show each character. It, um, it opens almost like showing four different short films of each of the characters before we actually get the main part of, of the story. And they're from all around the world. I think one's from Israel, one's from New York, one's from France. And they, you know, it's it's very, it, the style of the film is so different until it gets going in this really awful place in um, somewhere in South America. Um, each character doesn't know much about one another. They can't trust each other. But through the incredible and impossible obstacles they face, they learn that they have to work together. And there are these brief moments of unity. But when they happen, they are gold. Just to see these tragic characters smile and yell for joy is really amazing. Just because you're going through so much effort in the movie. Um, each character has tremendous screen presence and you feel for each one. And I really love Roy Scheider in this. He is amazing. He, I still think his best performance is in Jaws from what I've seen. I haven't seen every single Roy Schneider film. The scenarios in this movie and the set pieces are some of the best I have ever seen in all of cinema. The, the biggest scene in the movie is when this truck has to go through this rickety bridge. You would have seen images of it. I think Simpsons parried it. Um, it in the Mr. Plow episode. Um, mm-hmm. William Friedkin was working at the height of his power and dared to have subtitles in the movie, dared to put a huge production in the harsh jungle somewhere in the Dominican Republic, and, you know, he risked it all. Unfortunately, it came out the same time Star Wars came out, and I don't care if you're Citizen Kane, you're not going to match Star Wars. (laughs) I'm sorry, Star Wars will flatten every other film to come out, and this film had a huge budget, and it was just crushed. And through legal problems, it had a lot of problems getting getting a good quality uh, version over to vhs to dvd so for a 
long time. Even finding a copy of this was really hard. And even if you found one, it was really bad quality. Um, so it's only been recently re-released on Blu-ray, and it is an amazing transfer. Um, uh, approved by the director himself. I highly recommend everyone to buy this Blu-ray because it's one of the great gems. For the longest period of time since it was released in cinema, you couldn't get a qual uh, a qual um, a copy of this good quality. So go watch the Sorcerer. It's um, or Sorcerer. It's really good. I hate the name Sorcerer. It's so stupid. I wish they called it Sunny Girls. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it fits. No. No, it doesn't. Does it? Trucks? What? Um, Nitroglycerin? <laughs> mm, the magic. Yeah. <laughs> Did a quick search for uh, female teams, and I basically uh, one of the top ones uh, was a League of Their Own. Uh, so the baseball. Oh team yeah, I remember the, that with Tom Hanks. Yeah, with Tom Hanks yeah. and Gina Davis and Madonna, and uh, another one I thought of when I was checking was uh, that Whippet movie where they're basically a team of uh, like roller derby. Um, I'm forgetting the term, but it made me think like we haven't included any sport teams on this. I suppose Mighty Ducks comes to mind. Oh yeah, um, no, I, I thought of sports movies as well. Uh, the big one, yeah, Mighty Ducks and Sandlot Kids for me when I was shortlisting this one, I, I just didn't bother. Yeah, I mean, it is difficult to kind of develop, um, I suppose, characters within a team when it's sport, but they are obviously all working together for the same goal, so it sort of fits the the brief of what we're doing here as well. Yeah. Uh, my next film is Inglorious Bastards from 2009, directed by Quentin Tarantino. The way these guys are a team is in this quote. My name is Lieutenant Aldo Rain, and I'm putting together a special team, and I need me eight soldiers. Eight Jewish-American soldiers. Now, you all might have heard rumors about the Armada happening soon, but we'll be leaving a little earlier. We're going to be dropped into France, dressed as civilians, and once we're in enemy territory as a bushwhacking guerrilla army, we're going to be doing one thing and one thing only killing nazis <laughs> killing nazis <laughs> I, look i'm not going to do it justice so i wasn't going to try but um look uh, the nazis nobody likes them there's a small collection out there who want the memorabilia from nazis but long story short they're a huge menace if, of humanity and and uh basically if people could go back in time they always say they want to kill adolf hitler and Quentin Tarantino has crafted a film where not only does that happen and, uh, you know, he gets justice is <laughs> served, but everyone on the team, the best team, I think, uh, in um, Inglorious Bastards, the Bastards, they managed to scalp Nazis. They managed to take down all these German soldiers. Killing Hitler is their ultimate goal, which it's fascinating to watch because you sort of think as you're watching it, are they really going to kill Hitler? Because, you know, it's fairly common knowledge with Adolf Hitler that he died in a bunker shooting himself in the head. And so, therefore, you know, he didn't have to stand trial. He was never assassinated or anything like that. The fact that they kill him in this movie theatre and in this, the way they do it is amazing to watch on film, Lloyd. Yeah, it really takes you by surprise. I just wish we saw more of the bastards in Inglorious Bastards. 
I, I know he was going to do it as a mini um, TV series, like a four or five parter or something like that with HBO. Right. And then um, yeah, a conversation with uh, Luc Besson was like, oh, you're only one of the few directors who makes me want to go to the cinemas to watch a movie. Uh, well, you should do it as a movie. So he had to cut down this epic, epic story into a movie. And uh, I felt it was a bit confused between telling the story of the French girl and the bastards, um, but still an enjoyable movie, though. And uh, yeah, as you say, it was a really fun team. Yeah, I could imagine that as kind of a Band of Brothers 10-part series. Um, <laughs> Look, it's not out of the realm of possibility that it could be remade, but I think Tarantino works best in film, and uh, I'm happy to see him continue to come out with features. Great choice with uh, Inglorious Bastards because it flows perfectly in line with my one. Uh, and I too chose a war movie as my number two, and this was out of Apocalypse Now, The Great Escape, and The Dirty Dozen, but I went with The Dirty Dozen. Uh, I watch this all the time with my dad. A US major is assigned with a dozen convicted murderers to train and lead them into a mass assassination mission behind German lines in World War II. So Tarantino had said himself he absolutely loves The Dirty Dozen, and he wanted in glory glorious bastards to be in the same vein so it's freaky how you picked in glorious bastards <laughs> um the cast was sublime ernest bojnine as a general with some great lines lee marvin as the head of the dirty dozen charles bronson the legendary john cassavetes telly savalas brilliant as the insane maggot donald sutherland who i'm shocked to see how young he is in this movie and they all worked great it is the original suicide squad a whole bunch of them die and you feel for them i love it how at the end of this movie the leads survive and also some random people most action movies today everyone dies except the leads and it annoys the hell out of me. Some of us fall in love with the non-feature characters, you know. I'm sure there's a character in the background. You go, oh, I hope he makes it. You know what I mean? I can't be the only one that feels like that when I see a movie. Um, there are also a lot, a lot of us who loves uh, Winston in Ghostbusters, for example, but a lot of people don't consider him as part of the main team. In fact, when you see a lot of pictures of Ghostbusters, it's always Ray, Peter, and Egon, and you never see Winston. It's just tragic. Like, a lot of us love Winston, you know, to me. A little bit racist, too, isn't it? <laughs> I think Dirty Dozen is a great action movie with a great cast who are thrown into an impossible mission, and the chemistry they have with each other is magic. It's absolute magic. I just hope the new movie Suicide Squad can capture a fragment of that chemistry. It's interesting too. We've seen some stills from Suicide Squad now. They look amazing. Uh, Jared Leto's Joker and um, the the team shot of uh, all of them. Uh, you think it'll live up to the hype? Uh, I, I hope it does because I, I really want a good Dirty Dozen movie. I love team movies and this is why we're doing this podcast and Dirty Dozen is one of my favourite team movies of all time. I, I don't think it can capture the magic of that. There's just something about the characters, uh, the actors of that time, how their characters on screen uh, just work so well. They just synergize so well. And I, I guess it's really wrong of me to demand that from a modern day movie, but I just hope they can get that chemistry going. The characters in the movie, and I hope the chemistry works well together with all of them. I think Red comes closest, 
um, to capturing some of that. You, do you remember Red with um, Bruce Willis? Yeah, retired, yeah. extremely dangerous. Yeah, yep. c- kind of that. They great characters. Um, you know, Helen Mirren, Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman, and they all work really well together. Particularly John Malkovich, but. Um, yeah, so I don't know if Suicide Squad will live up to its high expectation, but I really want to see a great, fun, dirty dozen movie. The Expendables sort of has that vibe as well. Yeah, that's a great, that's a really great point. But with Expendables, I I just felt like a lot of them were invincible. I feel it's going to be more so with Suicide Squad, like because these characters are worth so much money to the movie studios you know they're just not going to die and it takes away again that drama as we talked over and over again in our avengers podcast that's it and jared leto is doing a very cartoony joker um he's got the tattoo on his forehead and all up and down his arms and uh from the still and so i mean he's just going in a different direction they're going in a different creative direction because heath ledger's joker was uh iconic but also realistic so to see him try and do the same thing, I think, will, you know, incite rage from fanboys. But uh, uh, oh, Geez, this- they're mean. I just want to bring that up, the rage from fanboys. Thanks yeah. a lot, you guys. You completely got Joss Whedon out of Twitter. I don't know if you read up on that. but the back- I did, yeah. The backlash he got from people over um uh, avengers 2 forced him out of twitter like i've been on youtube for many years and twitter and um i've I've had a podcast with you Dave, for years i know how to deal with trolls you just don't feed them you know you just let them have their comment and you just ignore them but i guess a lot when they started threatening his kids and stuff like that it just got really savage so Mm. yeah it just made it just left a bad taste in my mouth this guy worked really hard he's made one of the greatest comic book movies of all time um you know uh, just really awful (laughs) it's it's the same it's hard to when you're not involved at all throw stones you know uh, creatively somebody's built something from nothing and this movie wouldn't exist at all without the producers and directors and actors and so forth and you can kind of pick out these elements we do the same thing with our reviews but there's no need to be nasty online. Yeah, that's why right. I, I like social media because it brings it back to the theater. When a performance is bad, people start booing and throwing apples at the actor and stuff like that. It adds a mm. level of interactivity and it makes it alive. And social media tries to bridge that. You know, you're watching a movie and everyone's tweeting and making videos reacting to it. And there's this big pool of like a reaction there. But once it starts getting that savage, it's just i don't know i don't like it i i I didn't like the threatening 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 his kids and his family and stuff like that i might have read them wrong interpreted wrong but i'm pretty sure that those were some of the ones that just towed the line for me i'm like okay and this cyberbullying is obviously uh very real people commit suicide from it and things like that just uh they're actually making quite a few kind of horror films and uh unfriended i think is the latest one that's a great point uh, there's, there was a TV movie with somebody from Game of Thrones in it. I don't know the title of it, but um, this this kind of thing, you know, let's avoid it. But let's move on. Society, you know, <laughs> is terrible. So uh, Fight Club is my next one. <laughs> Great <And> segue. <laughs> you might, yeah, not really. <laughs> you, you might uh, You might think to yourself, what's the team in Fight Club? Because it's, you know, Brad Pitt, Edward Norton uh, most of the time, but... Project Mayhem is formed by Tyler Durden and these space monkeys, as he refers to them in the film, they have the same look. They have that shaved head, you know, uh, black shirt, black pants, 
black shoes they're all there to serve project mayhem to they're, they're the most kind of drone like team on my list the fact that they don't ask questions that they get stuff done uh, it starts small and the requests get bigger and then they're all living together in this hive mind kind of a house you know uh, digging up the yard uh, making soap you know running the orders of Tyler Durden because they feel a part of something there's a purpose to their team and ultimately at the end of the film with the explosion of all the bank buildings they're successful in at least whatever you know mission they're up to then the team doesn't disappear by the end it's still very active and the scary thing about it is anybody could be a part of it and you wouldn't know it like when um edward norton's character goes to turn himself into the police they basically are part of it you know he can't escape project mayhem is everywhere and, and it, they it, do show characters in the movie as well particularly um with meatloaf and jared leto um they yep. do show you know some humanity to them and everything like that yep definitely i'm putting it on the list as well because in my mind i am thinking very much about fight club 2 which is a comic book series that is coming out at the end of may so um very interested to see the kind of next chapter of this story uh it's both characters kind of uh years down the track marla has a, a kid basically with uh, edward norton's character and then tyler durden wakes up in the mind and uh kidnaps the kid so it kind of brings everything back um he's been dormant you know he's been taking pills to suppress him and i suppose his schizophrenia and uh, i'm i'm intrigued you know it's it's going to be interesting to me okay the number one movie i got on my list is galaxy quest <laughs> one of my all-time favorite movies uh bear in mind that i couldn't put ghostbusters or wild bunch on my list because i had to talk about uh, i i always talk about those movies in our podcast otherwise they would have been pretty much number one and two galaxy quest every member of the team are given moments to shine and they are given heart and the whole team must overcome their conf- uh, their differences to overcome the enemy that they face it is funny it is tragic and and it's just simply a lot of fun tim allen whose comedy i absolutely love is brilliant in this he can be serious and tragic there is a great moment in the film where he tells mathazar that he's just an actor and he isn't really a starfleet captain and you see tim allen's soul die in that moment um that he has to admit that he's a fraud it's beautiful alan rickman had a great cynical uh british humor it was so classy and a nice touching moment where he avenges a fan sigourney weaver was beautiful and brilliant um i'll always like sigourney weaver by the way <laughs> and sam rockwell um steals the show like there's so many great lines in this movie that i quote over and over again with my friends like i love it <laughs> like they're, they're watching all the aliens he goes no man they gotta go bad they gotta go teeth didn't you guys watch the show <laughs> you know and he's like don't go out there is that air even breathable you don't know that and he holds his breath like just just moments like that it's just fantastic uh, the whole red shirt concept <laughs> is hilarious yeah, that was great <laughs> let's hurry before they kill a guy um and and the villain was a real threat um there was great puppetry work to the villain i don't understand how people were so critical with a lot of the makeup they're saying it's really dodgy but i don't think they know what they're talking about i, I think it was fantastic makeup 
makeup. Uh, the villain doesn't get any credit at all. Like, he's really ruthless. He had a presence, and every time you were with the villain, you got a sense of their world. Like, it's a military goblin-like hierarchy. And I love it how he's second, um, second guesses in, like the boss is saying, but my men in there, and you just get a taste of the defiance in the character. Just a little, little touch there. I've seen Galaxy Quest, like, ten times, and I've loved it each time. It's the cast and the characters that make it for me. Most of all, the movie was done with a lot of love. Although it appears it's paying out Star Trek, like, um, um, you know, making a comedy out of Star Trek. It's actually a love letter to the whole franchise because it's done with so much enthusiasm and passion. J.J. Abrams said on the audio commentary of Star Trek that he considers Galaxy Quest to be one of the best Star Trek movies ever made. Uh, I love that movie. I've seen it so many times. <laughs> the first time I saw Galaxy Quest was uh, a mystery movie. Uh, that's where you would go to the cinema, you would buy tickets Friday night, 6.30, 7.30, whatever it was, and you were unaware what you would watch. So people would go and it would be a complete surprise um, until the opening credits started. Uh, you might get a clue from what's coming out the next week or anything, but it was usually an advanced print. It was the first time you would be seeing a film. I watched it and it was hilarious and I loved it and I completely approve of your choice. <laughs> and, uh, you had a great um, the showing for that film, like a complete surprise. It must have been like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, because at the time I, I wasn't looking week to week. I wasn't checking what was coming out. I, I had no idea what it was going to be. And we went completely on a whim just because, really, you know, mystery movie. Let's see what happens. And I don't know why more cinemas don't do that. Get an advanced print, do a mystery movie, because, you know, you can say the movie is rated M or PG and get your audience that way. They'll sort of, you know, appropriately come and see it. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Look, my top team in this podcast and obviously leave your face uh feedback for us uh, on facebook i'd love to hear your guys opinion of who's the best team i'd really love to see it. i know heaps of people are going to be yelling what about predator <laughs> what about but, yeah, the a team <laughs> what about the a team yeah i really can't wait to hear um read your comments guys but guys remember the parameters were four or more in the team so i've taken it up to 11 oceans 11 <laughs> For me, Steven Soderbergh, we've spent a whole podcast, I believe it was number 75, just talking about Steven Soderbergh's films. Ocean's Eleven gets a mention there. And for me, every member on the team has a unique skill. Uh, there are actually two drivers, you know, <laughs> Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn roles, which are, you know, the same sort of thing, but they require each other to work. All of them are needed to pull off the con, and they each have a role to play everything in oceans 11 plays out how they imagine it will and uh there's so much like subtle humor in uh, ted griffin's script just it's all multi uh, all ages all um races uh, multicultural team yep just like fast and furious absolutely exactly and though george clooney's uh character danny ocean is trying to get back tess played by julia roberts uh and you know rusty played by brad pitt in the second one has a love interest you know Catherine Zeta-Jones everything like that it it does have a love story at the heart of uh each one but the con is what I've put it on here for because the team's pulling off these cons thinking 10 steps ahead in each situation you know they've got a mastermind in Danny Ocean and uh the number two of Rusty uh basically fills in any blanks and the dialogue for me is hilarious I mean this it's such a well-written well-made remake 
that I had to include it in the list. And yeah, I think look, what makes that great is the actors work so well together. You can feel the chemistry that they would have had off off screen, like off camera was um implemented in their acting all throughout what you saw on film like it's they all loved working on that film and they all loved working together it just felt like great chemistry was all throughout that movie 100 percent. and Clooney Brad Pitt Julie Roberts Matt Damon Andy Garcia all these people are like 10 to 20 million dollar paydays you couldn't make this film unless they slashed their fees or took a back-end deal they must have liked absolutely movie, yeah you know there's just no way and it's an iconic piece of film obviously there's uh, an original film with the rat pack oh this, this i've seen i've seen the original oceans 11 by sodenberg and co is so much better <laughs> oh look at as well i mean the endings are different i'm not going to get into it but the fact that they have a really uplifting happy ending in uh, oceans 11 2001 sodenberg version makes it a better film you want to be rooting for the people you know because they're criminals you know they're trying to rob three casinos if you don't want them to by the end then uh yeah the look. film has failed but it didn't do that exactly yeah. hey i thought i'd take a second just mentioning oceans 11 reminds me that don Cheadle was at the uh at the fight and uh that the mayweather pacquiao fight was criticized for looking like a scene out of Ocean's Eleven because there were so many celebrities there. <laughs> Why'd you have to bring that up, Dave? I, I know I talked about this a lot um, on our previous podcast. I was hyping it up. I'm, I'm half Filipino myself, and I'm a huge, huge boxing fan. The biggest fight of our generation happened uh, on the weekend, and it was huge. There were celebrities everywhere. It wasn't a big, um, it wasn't an epic fight. It was a big chess match. Uh, Mayweather got criticised of running, tagging, and holding a lot, and Pacquiao i was trying to the filipino was trying to push the action and it was just a lackluster um like it was just a big letdown people were expecting fireworks what they got was a chess match i'll just put it like that well i mean it went for 12 rounds which means they were getting paid <laughs> by the round and, yeah uh, it generated um i think a, a nearly a billion dollars for vegas in terms of how many people went there how much money was spent um but the fight i think generated 400 million in pay-per-views which is just insane like we're talking super bowl the olympics um you know that kind of money for for two guys getting in the ring to beat each other up half a billion dollars that that, that that's just nuts um, I can't tell you though the atmosphere I had. I saw it at uh, University of Canberra at their bar Z Holes, I think it's named. Um, they had a wonderful setup there. This Filipino group reserved a whole bunch of tables, but it was packed with all kinds of different, uh, all kinds of people. Uh, um, Groove in the Move was happening as well at the same time, and uh, people were coming in and out of that. My bar, um, the UC bar, was packed full of people, and the tension as they were approaching the ring as the ring was cleared just before the bell goes everyone's going oh and when the bell sounded everyone just applauded because this fight has taken six years to make with all the negotiations the trial and errors six years of build-up and when that ring when that bell rang it was crazy if pacquiao had won i, I think the roof would have just blew off the whole, the whole place but you know it, it was a fun day i'll never forget it it's it's a big fight of my generation just not as epic as Ali Frazier or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, people wanted to see a knockout either way, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, just so it'll be settled. It's not settled now. No. People want want a, a second fight. Or which... their money back. <laughs> yeah. 
This is the thing. Well, um, best teams, before we go, uh, Lloyd, you want to talk about an Indiegogo campaign? Indiegogo campaign. Um, you're all film lovers who listen to this um, podcast. Orson Welles' last movie never went finished. It was called The Other Side of the Wind. Everything is shot. They just need to edit it. Unfortunately, it fell into legal problems that Wells was never able to solve until the end of his life. And it's been going back and forth until 2015. Even now, it's so ridiculous. This is a piece of history that needs to be done, finished, and, and, and shown to the public. Um, so you got to understand, it will never be what Orson Welles intended it to be because Orson Welles isn't around to say, you know, anything can happen when you edit a movie. It's sort of, you know, re-brought up. When you edit a movie, you rewrite the whole film, so to speak, as some directors put it. But they've almost finished it. They this uh, Whichever company is doing it, they only need $2 million. Only need $2 million. I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> um, so there's an Indigo campaign where you can contribute money. You get certain perks with it. Um, if you guys can please check that out, just type in Other Side of the Wind um, Indigo um, campaign or whatever. You should get it. You should find links to it. I'll put a link um, on the website that you can go um, check it out. And yeah, just please, if uh, this is an important part of cinema history, I really want to see this film at least circulate out there. Maybe we might even review it on our podcast or talk about it at least. But I think this is a very important film to at least get out there and see this last film um, of Orson Welles, uh, The Other Side of the Wind. Absolutely. I can see us putting a link to the fundraising campaign in the description of this episode and probably on our Facebook page as well. So should be easy to find if you head to podmeifyoucan.com you'll um find it from there maybe you've already checked it out which uh we appreciate good stuff (laughs) you're the best team (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) uh so next time on the podcast we will be covering a film called pitch perfect 2 some of you would have checked out the first one it was a real uh, money maker and it basically put rebel wilson on the map in terms of uh, u.s presence uh, Lloyd's just watched the first one. I'll be watching the first one again uh, in the lead up to the second movie coming out. We're going to get into that one next week. So uh, until then, keep watching movies, I suppose. Uh, let us know your best teams on Facebook. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews. 